Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps get the show out there and up in the rankings. You can share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you will somehow also find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. I also want to remind you of the Texas X's Off Week Golf Tournament coming up Saturday, September 28th. The deadline is rapidly approaching. You've got about 18 days to get registered, the 9 a.m. shotgun style start with a four-player scramble. Uh, you can find more tournament and sponsorship information at texasx's.com. But the cool thing about this is that all proceeds go to benefit the Houston Chapter Scholarship Fund so you can help somebody have an incredible experience at the University of Texas that so many of us listening to the show did. All proceeds, again, benefit that scholarship fund. Breakfast, lunch, encore snacks, and plenty of... Uh, Specialty beverages will be on uh, on the menu on that day, and the marquee raffle item is two tickets to the 2020 U.S. Open at Wingfoot in New York, and you don't have to be present at the tourney to win the raffle, so you can just hop over to TexasX's.com if you want to purchase a raffle ticket or two and support an incredible cause. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man that does not have air conditioning in his recording room. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, Gerald, I'm pretty good. I, just excuse me if you get on a real roll. You're really uh, knocking off some good points, and I just cramp up, and we have to stop the podcast. But no pettiness will be found here on this podcast. We are uh, realist pragmatists, assessors of the goings-on. We will try to keep um, pettiness to to a not, a, not a not a zero, but a, a minimum. There was a football game this weekend, Gerald. You can speak for yourself. <laughs> about the uh, the lack of pettiness, but I will be as petty as I possibly can be. So we're gonna do Good. our two show structure again. So this will be an LSU recap. We'll down the forty and we'll bang the drum tonight, and then on Thursday we'll bring you our rice preview. So Texas struggled a little bit early, and then came out and decided that they were actually probably the better team on the field. Let's be real honest here. Uh, in a lot of ways. But ended up falling to LSU 45-38 to 38 in what turned into a late game shootout because of the loss. Texas falls to number 12 right outside of the AP poll. Number 13 in the coaches while LSU moves up somehow to 4-5 and five, a respectively. So, Kyle, let's start with the, uh, the Texas offense because the, the biggest observation for me is that if I looked at just the box score for the Texas Longhorns, and you told me that they they racked up 530 yards, scored 38 points on LSU, and Ellinger put up 404 touchdowns. I'm like Texas wins running away. So let's let's start there. I think that's everybody else is starting with old old boy Joe Burrow. We're gonna start with our guy, Sam Ellinger, in in the Texas offense. So uh, what did you see early from Ellinger um, that he struggled with? Why did he struggle early? And then how did you see him kind of adjust? in the second half to help lead Texas uh, back into this game. 
Yeah, I don't know if it was, I don't really think it was nerves, but it almost seemed like he was trying too hard in the first half. Like he came out and was knew that everything was on his shoulders and his um, ample thighs, and he really needed to will the team to victory. Um, and, and I don't know if he just calmed down a little in, in, in the second half, if Herman was able to talk to him. But, I mean, he missed one of his patented, um, could have been a touchdown kind of, uh, seam routes that uh, on on the first try they they schemed it up beautifully starting with the uh, the screen pass to kind of work on that aggressive LSU defense hit him with a couple plays and then set it up perfectly for for that middle crossing route that uh, Sam just seems to be a step over uh, he just or a step or two um, too far I, again I think it was just trying a little too hard it wasn't a terrible first half um, from him it just we we left a ton of meat on that bone. And I, and I think, you know, in the second half, he came out and played like a Heisman contender. He played like an all big 12 caliber quarterback. He played like the leader of his team in the first half. Um, he, like the rest of both teams really came out, were a little tentative. We're, we're throwing jabs instead of haymakers. Um, I think Burrow kind of opened everything up in the second quarter and Sam followed suit. Um, and kind of built off that energy, but uh, it, it just felt like, yeah, there was something slightly off. I mean, obviously, when do you see Sam Ellinger get that many attempts near the goal line and not just power uh, all the way through, as we saw in the first quarter? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, I, it was kind of interesting that the whole team, minus, and we'll, we'll talk about in one moment, one one exception to the running back position, elevated their game, you know, for, for really the second half, and, and honestly, parts of the second quarter. Um, I, I don't think Sam is any exception. Sam, Sam was doing too much, Sam. I think you see occasionally where Sam... Sam has to do a lot in this offense this year, for sure. But I think there's a difference between when Sam Ellinger puts the team on his back and still plays loose, and when Sam Ellinger knows he has to put the team on his back and actively is thinking about it. I think the last time we really saw that uh, was Maryland last year like that that second yeah. half against Maryland Sam was was kind of clinching and, and pressing a little too hard uh and and it showed and so I think that that's what happened in the first half was Sam was overthinking he was not playing instinctually and that's going to be a trend with a couple of different positions I think at Texas um at least in this recap but when he loosened up he was the Sam that we all know and and really love at, at the University of Texas and proved a lot of the national conversation wrong and proved a lot of um, the doubters wrong that he's he's just a running back. He's a glorified Tim Tebow. Did Tim Tebow ever pass for 400 yards? I don't I don't I don't think he did. Uh, I, I'd have to look it up, but I certainly don't remember I, that. I'm, I'm going to make it educated. Probably not based on my own instincts. And Kyle, you can feel free to prove me wrong. But like he was he's the first quarterback to go over 400 yards uh, against LSU since Geno Smith uh, eight years ago, basically a better part of a decade ago, first Texas quarterback with at least seven TDs in the first two games since Colt McCoy, uh, 11 seasons ago. So like Ellinger proved that he's elite, like Ellinger proved that he belongs among the top quarterbacks in the country. And that's why the Texas offense really did well. And, and um, he was responsible for like, 491 yards of offense, like his rushing stats, you take the sacks out of it. So the 29 yards of sacks and he ends up with 60 yards uh, on the ground. So if he, he hasn't, he had 90, he had 490 yards of offense that he provided in five touchdowns. Like that's an elite performance. Uh, and, and it came thankfully with 
they're, I guess, kind of thanks to some strong performances from, from some wide receivers. So uh, Devin DuVernay, who was named the co-offensive player of the week by the Big 12 Conference, uh, 12 receptions, 154 yards, and two touchdowns, one of which was a huge touchdown late in the fourth quarter to help put Texas back into things. Brennan Eagles uh, had an incredible yards per catch number, so five receptions for 116 yards, which is just stupid, and a touchdown. He also um, was tackled on a pass where the LSU defensive back made a business decision. Um, the touchdown would have made it a close close game. And then Colin Johnson, who I, I really am tired of hearing the Colin Johnson disappeared narrative. Like, if you, if you think Colin Johnson disappeared, yes, he lost a couple of 50-50 balls to a smaller guy, and that's inexcusable. But the reason why these other guys are wide open is because if you go back and watch the film, Eight out of every ten plays, there was a safety over the top of Colin Johnson, keeping him from doing what Colin Johnson does best and forcing the ball inside to Eagles and Devin DuVernay. So, uh, and then Jake Smith caught 50% of his targets and the one catch went for a TD. So the wide receivers are what we thought they were, Kyle. The, I say all yeah. that to say the wide receivers are exactly what we thought they were. Um, so what do you, what do you think um, – or I guess, why do you think the receivers were so successful against LSU? What did you see from them that allowed uh, them to have such great success? Well, I mean, Christian Fulton's a guy who people talked about as a first-round draft pick at cornerback. I mean, Greedy Williams obviously got the lion's share of the immediate attention last year, but Fulton was a guy who people said could be just as good. He's one, kind of has the NFL size. Uh, he lost some money today. We're going to talk about some guys that uh, are this week. We're going to talk about some guys who, who made themselves some money by showing out on this stage. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, he was he was brutalized by any receiver he, he tried to cover um, in, in Texas. Really, their best uh, cover corner was a five-star, the number one corner in the country last year, Derek Stingley, um, who, who looked good. Otherwise, none of their other cornerbacks or nickelback could, could stay with our receivers. Um, I mean, even, even – Delpit, who is the number one safety in the country, and, and you heard Kirk Herbstreet say on the broadcast, maybe the best player in the country, um, w- didn't want any of the smoke that that Duvernay had for him. I mean, this they just they I don't know if they just came out motivated or they are as good as we think. Um, I think Bert had a drop, um, and I think uh, you know. Otherwise, I think Epps played some, maybe missed some blocks, played fine. But otherwise, every receiver who saw the field um, did exactly what they were meant to do. Even even downfield blocking was good um, on a lot of plays. I thought, you know, there weren't a ton of drops. Um, they got separation where they needed it. There was, again, if, if Ellinger, especially earlier in the game, um, was a hair off on a couple throws or there was 100 more yards out there for those guys. I mean, they just – they. They couldn't be stopped, and that's that's an incredible feeling, especially as we go into Big Twelve, uh, and we see um, you know these Tylen Wallace and Jalen Ragor and these guys. Um, Texas right now has an offense and has a, a group, not just a single, but a group of receivers who could be just as good as any of them right now. I don't know that Devin Duvernay, if he keeps up this production with the speed that he has, um, is anywhere except in the first day of an NFL draft. I mean, again, we're we're in week week two, so no no overreactions, but. Uh, he's finally looking in the senior year like a, like an all-Big 12 caliber receiver, and I don't think he's the guy a lot of us had pinned when we looked at the depth chart who, who, who should have been on that list. And Brennan Eagles just continues to be a revelation. I mean, he is going to be fun to watch uh, for a couple years to come. 
And I think Devin Duvernay is a guy that NFL scouts are probably starting to salivate over because he's he's not a small guy, six foot, uh, two hundred pounds ish on ish on both of those, right? Uh, he can he doesn't drop passes. I think he hasn't dropped a pass he was targeted on, uh, and he he runs somewhere in the in the low fours as a, as a forty yard dash. So like he is a guy who can be a difference maker at the next level, and I think he's showing that now. Uh, you know, I, I talked about it as I primed this up. I think he has the same advantage that, that L.J. Humphrey has last year that teams are really rolling safeties over the top because they're so afraid of Colin Johnson. They're so afraid of what Colin Johnson can do that they're covering him up with multiple defenders. And that is allowing these other guys to get loose. It's letting Brendan Eagles have one-on-one coverage and be big and fast. It's letting Devin Duvernay, who I wasn't a hundred percent sold on the Devin Duvernay is, is a tougher guy than he looks like talk in the off season. And then we saw it, right? Like he, he put Grant Delpit on his keister, not once, but twice in that game. And, and did, he did not lose any steam because of it. So uh, Mm -hmm. I, I'm in love with what these receivers are doing. And I think the, of the, of the two groups that have a ton of talent in the room, the wide receiver group is clearly the one that showed out the most. Yeah. in Texas didn't even really dip deep into the depth chart. They didn't rotate a bunch of guys. They did get both tight ends and Brewer and Leitao in and, and they didn't, light up the box score but they ran pretty clean routes especially the, some of the kind of crossing routes rub routes to help get some guys open they blocked where they needed i mean just anyone who got on the field like i said um contributed and looked good and looked like they were on level um and and that includes freshman jake smith who you know again anytime you have a freshman coming in and doing that that's shouldn't be overlooked how, how awesome that is but i do think the, the narrative on colin johnson after the game you touched on it um is the biggest thing and and, and you you kind of put those tweets out there that i think were great and a lot of people were retweeting but um it, let's not hate on colin johnson let's uh let's appreciate the big man but but I, I do hope that he's motivated by this game i do hope that he finds a way and we said this in our season preview we said it after last week's episode he knows he's going to get double covered. He knows he's going to have help over the top shading him. That means when you do get a chance to go up and get a ball, you have to go up and get it. But also for Sam Ellinger, when you know that that is your receiver's strength, you have to throw it to that outside shoulder. You have to put it up so he can high point it. You can't put it behind him or all of a sudden the foot advantage isn't quite as useful. So, I mean, I think it's it's a combination. And I hope the coaches get that worked out because I do think – 50 yards from, from Colin Johnson is, is deceptive. I think if you add in the multiple pass interferences, even just the one that was called uh, on a clear touchdown in the end zone, he, he had a bigger contribution than the shading of defensive backs to him, of course. But again, just there was there was another 40 yards there to be had if, if there were balls put to where you know they could, they could be most advantageous. So I don't want to belabor that point, but I also don't want people coming out of here hating on the captain because I think Kojo is, is a fantastic receiver, and he's still got a lot to prove this season. And he's a guy that is a playmaker for Texas when it matters the most. Who is the guy that put his entire body on the line to, to catch that onside kick? He's the only player yep. on the team that could have made that yep. play. And right. he did everything he could to make that play. And I think that that ball takes one less bounce and, and Texas has a shot to, to score with 20 seconds left on the clock. And I think they still had a timeout at that point. So like that, 
that to me, like that shows the heart of that guy. And it just, mm-hmm. it kills me to he- see people like questioning and trying to like talk negatively about him on Twitter, just because he didn't show up on the stat sheet and got, uh, got beat on a, on a pass that was not in an advantageous position for him. Now position that I am pretty frustrated with, or at least, I mean, it's, it's, it's not through the player's fault. We'll talk a little bit about some things that I think we could see differently, but the running back position, Texas was really one dimensional as, as far as running, if it wasn't uh, on on the shoulders of QB1, Roshan Johnson showed out a little bit, though. So Keontae Ingram sure. got the start, 10 carries, 29 yards. Everybody talks about the drop in the first quarter, and it's hard to argue that that was a big play. But you also, side note, you can't judge that play call based upon a player dropping that pass. It was the right play call because Texas oh, yeah. ran it to perfect execution and Keontae Ingram just happened to drop the pass. He got, he got inside his own head. He was so, he wasn't expecting to be that open. I think is what it yeah. was. He's just like, wait, nobody's yeah. around me. Those are the hardest balls to catch. Um, and that was in his head for the rest of the game. But Roshan Johnson uh, on his seven carries showed a little bit that he, he maybe belonged. And I put it out there on Twitter uh, in a, in a pretty extensive, I'll call it uh, analysis thread that, Roshan Johnson is a guy that I don't know if his future is at running back. Um, I think with the injuries resolving themselves and the 2020 guys getting on campus, you'll hear about Bijan on the Thursday show. Um, I don't know if, if running back is the future for him, but I think he's a guy that you have to get on the field somehow. Um, and yeah. then, and then I think Keontae Ingram will talk a little bit more about it. So that I think that's it. What do you, what are you seeing or not seeing from Keontae Ingram, Kyle? That you think is uh, is causing the the struggle he has in some of these big games? I mean, I wonder if it's between his ears or if it's it's you know in, inside of his knee, right? Like I wonder if he's healthy um, or if he just gotten his gotten his own head, you know? Because uh, there was a clear difference. I mean, on that first drive, he broke a tackle in the backfield for some yak. He caught a screen pass and, and um, you know, took it pretty, you know, pretty well down the field. He had five catches on the day for um, 32 yards, I believe. So, um, you know, he, uh, he, he was able to move the ball a little bit in the, in the beginning and then something happened. And again, you could say, Hey, it was after that drop and, and he just never got back mentally. I'm very curious if he got back physically if he was 100% there uh, or if there's you know something the coaches don't want to talk about as he is our our main running back and, and main health and and we'll talk about the rice preview coming up but um, I'm just not sure which of those it was but it's clearly something happened um, in the last three quarters of the game where you know the coaches felt more confident going with the guy with you know 14 days in most experience in that position that's who they trusted um, so that's that's a little bit interesting to me to say the least and and I wonder if it's purely mental he is a very cerebral guy by all accounts he's very thoughtful very contemplative and I think some of that may be bleeding onto the field where instead of trusting his talent and his preparation and trusting the holes to be there he's overthinking and trying to make plays happen is what it seems like to me. It seems like he is at a point where he's, I, I keep using the term squeezing, right? He's like, he's, he's, um, he's Lenny and he's squeezing a little too hard to, to use a reference that Tom Herman used uh, last, <laughs> last year to, to much people's chagrin. But like, I think that may be something, some of what happened where he's trying too hard to make a play rather than just playing football. And I think that 
is is showing a little bit where he's not trusting the hole to be there. He's not putting his nose up in when there's when there's not a clean hole. He's kind of trying to cut back or trying to go too laterally and he's good but he's not the Ramon's Taylor where he can just run sideline to sideline and out out outspeed geometry. That's not his game. He's a guy who he's going to get a couple of dirty yards and he may break a couple of those and outrun some people. But at the college level, you've got to be be willing to take four and a half yards. You've got to be willing to just put your nose up there and push and hopefully your offensive line can get you a hold. I think that's that's been the differentiator, I think, for Keontae in the last several games when we've seen him struggle. We're all rooting for Gann to get 100% back there. But the thing that, that gave me the most hope looking at that position group, you talked about Roshan and how good he looked. Uh, he caught a couple of passes out of the backfield. But the things that we, we said, hey, this guy's never not been the guy with the ball in his hands throwing it or, or you know, handing it off at most. Um, he did a pretty good job in in pass protection and, and even lead blocking on some of Sam's runs that made me think, you know what, like you said, we'll, we'll figure it out once we get all the, all the players on campus, but there is going to be a spot for him. You know, you think of a Gerard Hurd or, or a John Childs, these um, guys who were athletes and quarterbacks and just, you had to get him on the field somewhere. Um, I hope we, we utilize him maybe better than we even did both of those guys. Um, Hurd did have a relatively productive career, but not, you know, as much as maybe could have. But um, I think Roshan has a spot, if it's out in the slot, if it's um, at the running back, if it's at quarterback, I think he has a spot on this team because he showed just um, toughness, just finishing runs hard, like got the ball and went. I mean, again, a more seasoned running back. If you look at Keontae on the extreme of that, of of really reading and waiting for it to develop versus Roshan just going to the hole, you probably want somewhere in between there, halfway. But uh, man, I was I was very impressed with him. Maybe maybe more so. Um, than, than any player not uh, named Eagles or, or, or uh, Devin the Duve. We, we, need, to, we need to get to the, the defense because I think there's a lot to talk about there. But we do have to talk about the offensive line and the, the performance that they put up. Yeah. It was when Texas played its best in that game, the offensive line played its best. They gave up five sacks. I think a couple of those were probably coverage sacks where Sam held on to the ball for too long. But when you, when you look at what they did in the third quarter – for Texas. Texas didn't give up a sack, didn't give up a tackle for loss, and that's where Texas went on the big run to close the gap between them and LSU. Cosme absolutely dominated old what's-his-name, talking McTalkface, um, Chase on, right? Um, yeah. he, he absolutely dominated him, and I'm just going to pause here. If you're listening to this and you're like, Cosme held him the entire game, you don't understand how the offensive line works uh, because you are fundamentally supposed to hold them by the insides of their shoulder pads. That's how blocking on the offensive line works. I've been told that as a guy who played offensive line for – 12 years uh, that's how you block folks is you grab them by that tiny little inside part of the shoulder pad and then as a middle school football coach he ain't going a gosh darn place told me that's that's that is what it is so um, that's how you play offensive line and Sam Cosme was dominant yeah I mean and and, and we even put on on the uh, the show Twitter there was a play where um, it was a, a pass to Reese Leotow and and it was a kind of Cadillac drag against the action where it was going to be slow developing and Sam scrambled out one way and then went the other way and, and it did leave kind of a lengthy pass blocking section but also where the defense was getting across and there was a point where there was Ellinger 
two LSU players and Cosme, and it, and it felt very like a Greek battle. You sent your your uh, your your chosen hero out there to defend you, and Cosme just went ahead and blocked both of them, um, blocked one guy into the other, basically <laughs> neutralizing, which I thought was maybe my favorite play of the game. But yeah, he definitely just. Um, I think right now we were unsure if you know after Connor Williams like. Are we sure Cosme is that good? Yeah, he's that good. I think on a, on a team loaded with talent, um, he might be one of our best players and certainly has one of the best Sunday futures um, on the entire roster. But yeah, it wasn't just him. I mean, I think I think Shaq is just solid. I'm I'm so glad he's 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 the captain because he's just has has earned this right. Um, and then both of our guards, I was actually impressed with um, in pass pro. We have two run blocking guards in, in Braun and Angelau, and I thought both of them um, held up really well when obviously pass pro was was the majority uh, of our game plan. So I I uh, I have no real complaints. Uh, any any of the any of the big big uglies, I think um, they did fantastic against certainly the best front they will see all season. My only complaint is that Sam Cosme is eligible to declare for the draft after this year, and I'm not okay with that. That's my only complaint about this offensive line unit is that there's a possibility that we don't get two more years of Sam Cosme. Sam Cosme with with uh, the 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 Sams for Heisman, just getting Sam Ellinger his Heisman next year. Maybe there's some romanticism there. We can we can lure him back, but. Uh... Money talks. We understand. This is a podcast where you're never going to hear us say anything other than go get paid, young man. But I'm not going to be mad at them for deciding to come back. Not going to be mad at them for deciding to come back. The Texas defense had some struggles. Hmm. The way to say that. They allowed 573 yards overall, 471 through the air. It's the most yardage the team has allowed since 2016 and the six most passing uh, yardage given up all time. And I think the big thing there is how efficient LSU was to close out the game. If you remove their one play, one kneel drive, uh, they averaged 11.58 yards per play, 278 yards on 24 plays, literally four, six play drives all ended in touchdowns. The other 44 snaps, they had a normal 6.7 yards per play. Joe Burrow, I was a doubter. We said it last yeah. week. We both were like, ah, I don't know about this guy. He's okay. Yeah. Uh, and and he, he came out and he balled out. And he's he is probably the biggest reason why LSU won this game. And, and he was able to take advantage of some struggles and on the back end of the Texas defense and maybe some schematic things that should have been different. Yeah, it, it's crazy right now. That it, I mean, there's a pretty clear, I think, um, Heisman four in the quarterback situation you have Tua and Trevor who were who are ordained to be there. I think Justin Fields is, is a transfer who's playing himself into Ohio State and then Joey, who transferred from Ohio State, is 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 looking like the real deal. We'll see um if he can keep it up and stay healthy. But I mean, there was nothing from him that didn't say that kid looked as good as, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and any of the really, you know, unbelievable Heisman caliber Big Twelve quarterbacks that we've played in the past couple seasons, there, there was nothing of a drop off in what he could do. I mean, even that we'll talk about it, that egregious third and 17 was on him. I mean, he stepped up in the pocket, bought time, had a, a spy uh, coming in his face and he had to off balance, throw it uh, again. We'll talk about that play, but he put it on the money. There were so many throws that he put on the money. Um, you know, I, I think when you have a quarterback executing at that level, um, the defense has to be perfect, and and I just don't know if the defense execution was 
perfect. I don't know um, if they were just too fast and that really got to us and, and they were tired and worn down. I don't know if the, I mean, honestly, as much as I, I love him and respect him, I don't know if Todd Orlando won the, the coaching battle. I, I do think that just to give credit where it's due, Tim Beck probably won the coaching battle against famed, you know, coordinator Dave Aranda. I, I, I think that, uh, Esminger and, and obviously the, the, the wonder kid, Joe Brady from, from LSU won that battle and out coach Todd Orlando, um, and, and really just did what they wanted, especially like you said, on those, those last few drives, it, it was like playing against, you know, the practice squad. Texas still needs to figure out what's going on with its cornerbacks. And I think, um, you know, there, there is a lot of room for growth. And I think the other thing is they're relying on the safeties and one-on-one coverage too much. Like that, that to me is the most egregious schematic thing. It's not putting the, the corners on islands. Cause I think at some point in the big 12, you're going to have to just be on an Island. But as, as much as I love Caden Stearns and we are Stearns stands on this podcast and Brandon Jones is a great player. That's not that's not really in most schemes what your safety needs to be doing is covering a wide receiver one on one. That's not what they do. Right. They right. they they put the top on the defense. They play center field and they come up and run support. Like that's what that's what these safeties do. And Stearns, for better or for worse, got beat on that on that third and sixteen play. Like the guy who went for the score was kind of supposed to be covered by Caden Stearns and a lot of, well, there are a couple of other people that probably could have been, but Caden Stearns was out of position and was trying to cover. Um, and, and that's not what those guys do. Like that's not what, when Caden Stearns is at his best, he's playing center field. He is able to just see, read, react. Like that's what he does. And, and if Texas can put him in a position to do that, I think that goes differently. But that third and 16 is kind of a, between a rock and a hard place situation. Because if you don't blitz, Texas really struggled getting pressure with just three guys. And on the third downs when they did that, Joe Burrow picked them apart. He was able to stand in the pocket. And at some point after six or seven seconds, coverage is going to break down regardless. Like that's just how football works. And so you're kind of between a rock and a hard place where, yes, I do think he he shouldn't have brought the house. But I do think you have to blitz somebody and a few people in there. Yeah, and, and Burrow showed a little little pop with his leg, so I get having a spy on him. I just – there was – I mean, about 17 yards, you know, 15 to 17 yards is where they destroyed us anyway, so I don't know why LSU would feel not confident that they could get that because that was that behind linebackers in front of safety zone that they just crossed and, and, and obliterated us. But, I, yeah, I just don't – I don't know, but I don't know what you do there. You hope that Herman said he hoped to get good position for the offense, but the offense was moving. I think you just, I think you took a risk and it didn't pay off. If you get a sack right there, you say, holy crap, what a wonderful call, right? That's, that's football. hundred percent. And, and and that, I think that's my biggest issue with some of the fan reaction is that they're judging the calls based on the results because the shark was a quarter of a second away from, from slapping Joe Burrow on his throwing arm. Like, and you can, you can watch a game and find those like you know inches plays where where it's the difference between winning and losing. But you can't. And there was eval- a lot of them. There were a game. lot of them. But you can't evaluate the call based on the result. That's not that's not how football works, and that's not how uh, coaching works. Because you don't know how the if if every coach knew the result of every call, then it wouldn't be a sport. It would be analytics. And and that's that's the problem with some of the armchair analysis we're seeing. I believe there was a famous uh, quote by, can't remember his character's name, but Al Pacino. Tony D'Amato. Tony D'Amato. 
the inches we need are everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a game of inches. I mean, it's 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 the Brandon Joe safety that, or excuse me, uh, interception that doesn't happen in the end zone that that's a touchdown the next play. It's it's um, you know Malcolm Roach who, who was fantastic all game, maybe our one of our best, if not our best, defensive player, um, hitting a guy point three seconds after he threw it instead of point two nine. I guess that's the cutoff. A little ridiculous of a call, um, if you ask me. But it, you know, it's it's. Um, yeah, it's exactly that. It's Burrow getting getting hit and still getting a ball off on on a couple of those blitzes. Um, it's you know it's Stearns getting there just a second late and then you know missing the tackle that goes for the the game winning touchdown. Like it's it was a lot of really really close plays. Obviously the onside kick, the you know the Sam knee, the the Keonta, everything. But it, just a lot of really close plays. And so that's where the defense can hold their head up and say, hey, we played a great team and we. Could have won. I think Brandon Jones said after the game there was a lot of chances we had to win this game, but then you also need to take those. And and I and I, I think um, I think I'm a little bit higher on our defensive line than than maybe you were. I think Roach was good. Um, I think given the fact that there was only kind of three guys with their hands at any time that Bimmage Chisholm and, and and again the big freshman who I'm really liking Devondre Sweat all looked pretty good. Um, I I just don't know what our best use of Osai is. He needs to be on the field, but I don't know if it's in the middle. I think blitzing him is, is still his best place. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're going to see a little bit different defense by the time we play OU than we, than we had against this, um, this team. But I, I do think that there is an inevitable, there's amount of guys who can play on the outside corner position. Um, and, and, we need to find two of them. I think even the one who we've been most confident in Jalen green had a tough night, but I, I think, uh, Thompson cook boys, anyone you put out there, just pat them on the backs. If you see them on campus, they're, they're, they're kids who, uh, who had a rough one and, and have the talent to, to make it, but they're going to need a chance to do it. My comment about not being able to get pressure with three guys, uh, having their hands in the dirt is not a comment on the defensive line because I was very, very impressed with the defensive line for the vast majority of that game. Uh, most of Edwards Hilaire's production came late in the game. And they, mm-hmm. the defensive line, like Keandre Coburn is a freaking dude. Like that guy just sits in the middle of the defense and it's like, you got to pick another gap player because these A gaps are not yours. Um, and, and that, and the, the Texas defensive line is a strength for them. And I think, um, Tom Herman even said it today in the presser. Cause somebody kind of was like, well, the defensive line didn't really produce. And he flat said, you can't judge a defensive line's production based upon the stat line. That's not the way you judge a defensive line. Did they make an impact on the game? And the answer is yes. They, they made an incredible impact on the game. You saw, you saw Malcolm Roach do it time and time again. You saw Keandre Coburn just eating up guys and being a just – he's an anvil in the center of that defense, and that's exactly what they need. Um, but when when I say that, that you can't – Texas struggle getting pressure with, with just three guys, it's a numbers game. You blitz, you blitz three – you blitz two and you've got three down linemen rushing – the offensive line has a one-man advantage because they're going to keep the running back in to block. That's six on five, right? So that that's all that's all that it is. It's a schematic thing. It's not a judgment on the defensive line because I was very very impressed with that group. I'm glad to hear that because I, I do think they were our best group, and, I, and that includes the defensive backs for sure. So I, I mean, if 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 we're D back, if we're DBU, 
um, you know, if us and Dallas Baptist are the two DBUs out there, then I, I want to, uh, I want to see it. Let's live up to it, boys. Even, even from the, the senior safeties or the senior and really experienced sophomore, <laughs> we call that a veteran around here, uh, safety, you know, we, uh, I want to see game, game change in place from those guys. Uh, I, I think, uh, we had a, a really good sack from, from Jones and, and, you know, almost an interception. I get it. You were close. I think he had a good game, but, um, Man, I would have just loved one pass breakup somewhere, one 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 you know jumping of a route in the correct way. But it, it was a tough game all around, and and uh, I, like we we said on Twitter, I think you hold your head, heads high after this, and you know you just got beat by the better team. You learn from it. You take that with you into the you know four or five really good offenses you still have on the schedule. You you figure out how to win those games instead of lose close ones. Go win the Big Twelve championship, and you see LSU again in the playoffs. They were the better team on Saturday. I think you line those teams up and play them 10 times. I think that is a 50-50 split at best for, for LSU. So that's that's my feeling. I think those teams can go toe-to-toe every Saturday. So Texas now travels to NRG Stadium to take on the Rice Owls, and we will be back in your ears on Thursday to preview that matchup. Before we do that, we want to do that little thing where we give some shine to the programs on campus that are doing some big things, but maybe don't necessarily get as much shine as they should. And we down the 40 and we also like to throw in our recruiting news there because we have to talk about it because Texas is absolutely killing it. So first up. 2021 recruit number 43 ranked nationally Jatavian Sanders commits to Texas on the sideline of the LSU game. He's currently uh, at Denton Ryan high school plays defensive end for them. He currently uh, is the number three athlete in the country. He'll play somewhere on the defense. Big kid um, number six in the state of Texas and Texas is cleaning up in the 2021 class already with a lot of big time names cough cough brocker myers cough cough still left on the board for them <laughs> yeah it's it it, it it moves them up to, to number two in those rankings with six less recruits than miami so i mean there's there is a lot of a lot of talent left to bring in make this truly a special special class for the longhorns um i, I mean this guy looks exciting. You, you sent me his, his highlight tape, and the first thing you see is him uh, moving a defensive end out of the way, uh, or excuse me, an offensive lineman as he's playing defensive end out of the way and then just casually intercepting the pass that the quarterback threw. Um, and that is that is all the all the, the giddy excitement that you can give me as a, um, as a 16-year-old who still has a ways to go and grow and get stronger and tougher and learn stuff. Um, that just being a playmaker? I like to see that. I like to uh, like to get those kids at every position. So I'm excited. That play was him as a sophomore. Uh, number 24 soccer does what you do to Texas A&M schools, and they dominated Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, number three volleyball had a pretty solid week. They swept Minnesota at home and then traveled to uh, to Palo Alto to take on the number one Stanford Cardinal. It was a tight. Game Texas battled back, uh, but lost unfortunately in a fifth set three to two. But Texas, it's gonna be a salty team this year. I'm really excited to see what that volleyball club can do. Oh yeah, and I mean two top ten matchups, and and you win, uh, you know, you you win a sweep against number eight, and then you go in 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 Stanford's house and uh, push them for as much as they can take. Stanford continues to be the bane of our program's existence, by God, but uh, they'll get over that hump. And uh, they'll probably see them again. And finally, Baseball America um, has a, has some nice thing to say about the Texas 
freshman class. They ranked them the number 10 freshman class in the country. Last season, Texas was number eight, but a ton of big names coming to campus for the Longhorns. Yeah, 15 freshmen coming in with the three uh, Juco transfers they have. Um, there's there's a kid at catcher who's coming out of the state of Louisiana named Silas Arduan, who's who's looks like the real absolute deal who could come in and, and, and play for us uh, day one. He's got that much talent. So I'm excited just all, all the uh, all the kids in this class. And as they, they told you on uh, on signing day, or actually I guess on, on Major League Draft Day, as we heard, if it ain't burnt, it ain't turned. Love it. And now's a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? All right, all right, all right, Kimosabi. The Minister of Culture, man. What a fantastic piece of game day. We kind of joked, of course, he'd be the obvious pick. Who else could it be? Um, but he was perfect. He is one of the best celebrity game day pickers I've ever seen. He just, he looks like a dude who didn't just casually look at a list and pick, you know, a team arbitrarily. He looked like he knew some things about each of these teams. Like he'd done his research. Quite frankly, looks like a dude who sits around and watches college football on Saturdays and knows what's going on against son of a high school football coach out of uh, East Texas. The dude knows his football. Um, if you take the, the Longhorn pick out of it, because obviously, you know, he had to pick with his heart there. He went, a pretty impressive nine and one in his other 10 picks by far the most accurate of any college game day picker this year. I couldn't see if anyone's ever gone perfect outside of their own home school. I couldn't find that data, but I, I I've never seen, that. I don't remember ever seeing that. So, so um, the, the burnt orange um, uh, future teller, the, uh, the, the, the minister of knowing things um seems to be very good at college football picked BYU over Tennessee um which I don't think a lot of people had obviously getting Mac Brown over Miami was a big one the Clemson over A&M was no surprise to anyone but got the USC over Stanford I don't think anyone saw that coming Colorado over Nebraska and obviously the Maryland Syracuse that I liked a lot um I just think uh you know, if you have if you have a uh, a betting line, my bookie. If you want to reach out, we can we can get you know you you reach out to McConaughey, get him on our podcast. We'll have you come in and and he can he can pitch for for my bookie. But now, uh, keep an eye on what 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 Mac is is putting his money on because he seems to know his stuff. So hook him, Minister of Culture. Yeah, and and seeing him rip that uh, tiger head off of Corso. Uh, was both beautiful and uh, was terrifying because it reminded me of me trying to get a t-shirt off of my two-year-old. And I was like, you're going to rip <laughs> his head off. That's always what I assume when my when shirts get stuck on my kids. My kid has my head and just, I'm so sorry, son. I know it's 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 a curse. Uh, you'll wear a big football helmet and a big hat. And it's okay. And, and I'll just say this. I think, you, you know, Lee Corso may actually at this point be more fragile and more likely to have a head popped off than, than your little guy. <laughs> He's uh <laughs> He seems like he's soft boned. He's 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 regressing Benjamin Button style. I mean, he he is he's he's a he's an elderly fella. Uh, so my bang the drum this week is on the massive ratings that this overnight game drew. So it's a, it drew a five point eight uh, overnight for uh, for ABC, which is the fourth highest Saturday night game since twenty eleven. This was. A great national stage for Sam Ellinger and for the Texas Longhorns, and and I think it's just it just continues to prove that 
by some specific measures, I think Texas is back to national prominence. I don't know what Texas is back means to you, but Texas is at least back in front of people and back to the point where they are the marquee game of the weekend, where they just announced this morning that Texas and Oklahoma State would, again, be the marquee matchup in two weeks. So, like, Texas is back to at least national prominence and in front of a ton of eyeballs, and people want to watch. Now, uh, there are probably a lot of people watching because they're jealous because they ain't us. Um, <laughs> but I think that is that is the nature of, um, we'll just call them MPs. And if you know me and know what MPs stands for, then you'll just you'll understand what I'm saying. Like, people are just looking to Texas to see how they stack up and measure up. And I think uh, I'm okay with that because, again, the the more people hate Texas, it just indicates to me that Texas continues to be the standard by which people measure themselves and and feel inadequate because of. <laughs> yeah, they, it, there's been recent news of, of Nick Saban getting quite angry that he's not getting enough night games. So even Nick Saban looks jealously at the Longhorns' uh, national prominence in place at the front lobe of everyone's brain. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me tweeting at Kyle Carpenter or at... Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Gooder. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can also hear me later on this week on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds, uh, where we talk about movies and TV shows and video games and all sorts of nerdy stuff. Uh, if you want to check that out, you can find us on any podcast server. We're basically the same place where you download this. Download Two Woke Nerds. You can connect with the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod and feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Hook them.